Hey guys, it's Kyle from Mentors for Military. Uh, we got a really special episode. It's kind of near and dear to my heart. Uh, we have a former leader of mine, um, Sean Jarvis. Uh, it's a great guy, great episode. I want you guys to really check it out. We've broken this up into two, um, just like when he was my first sergeant, kind of long-winded, but we love him for that. Uh, he's got awesome stories, uh, awesome anecdotes, and just an all-around just great episode. So guys, check it out. You can find us on Patreon, all social media. It's Mentors, the number four, M-I-L. Subscribe, like, comment, all that stuff goes to help us give you great content every two weeks. Hopefully, if you guys pick it up a little bit, we'll be able to release it more, even more often. Um, so, really support us, show your love, smash that subscribe button, smash that like button, leave that comment. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Hey, it's Robert Gowan. We're sitting at 15 Perry Street. Welcome to Mentors for Military, and I'm joined by my sidekick. Hey, it's Kyle. How are you guys doing? So we've got a, a special guest here, um, Sean, who came all the way from just down the road, uh, basically. So not too far away, right, Sean? I even brought my umbrella. <laughs> a fellow noon and nine. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, raining pretty badly here, so I uh, appreciate you coming in such an early day um, and nasty day at that. So Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah, not a problem. I actually woke up late for the first time probably since I've been retired. Really? Yeah. I, I turned this the alarm late. off and I was like, you know what? I'm going to be all right. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you, know what I, you know what I didn't take into account, right? Daylight savings. Spring time. forward. Oh, yeah. All day long. The worst. Well, he hit me up with it last night. We went out to dinner after uh, taping yesterday. And um, all of a sudden, as soon as we we're getting ready to walk out, he reminds me that, you know, we got to spring forward. So um, I'm glad you actually said something because I, I probably just now would have been strolling in. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah, absolutely. It was uh, in my house. The the wife and kids were getting up to go to church, and it was three kids that did not want anything to do with that. They thought it was yeah. like, Dad, it's seven o'clock. Like, no, bro. <laughs> yeah. Get up. <laughs> so, are you originally from around here? Or what uh, was the uh, path? Oh. Here we go. Yeah, let's get there. Yeah, let's start. <laughs> you went deep, man. Yeah. Um, I was actually born in Korea. So okay. I was born in South Korea. and uh, Father military, army, or just? Yeah, so I'm, long story. But, uh, it, you know, as time progresses, I, I realized that, you know, I'm, I am the son of somebody that was American. Yeah. Um, mother Korean, father American. And um, you know, we can go down this rabbit hole because it's pretty nice. It, okay, it, yeah, go for it. And it's angry. Yeah, so. long, long story long here. <laughs> yeah, so that's our so, motto. So. Um, so yeah, I was I was adopted by two amazing Americans that you know my father now I consider him my father right yeah. and my mom is my mom so I don't do that whole adopted thing. Um, they he was a, a platoon leader over as an MP over in Korea, and uh, you know mom for some reason couldn't have children decided they wanted to adopt um, had their eyes on I think a baby girl to be honest with you. And I was kind of like, uh, you know how you go to the Humane Society and you're like, man, I want the pit bull. And you show up and you walk out with the poodle. Yeah. yeah I'm the, the poodle. The poodle. There you go. Yeah. So, I thought you were going to say that the different way, you know, that you wanted the poodle and you yeah, got the pit bull. Okay. No, right. I'm not a pit bull. Nah. <laughs> so, you know how big of a mama's boy he is? He's yeah. Definitely, he's definitely yeah. not a pit bull. Um, I can get angry though. Yeah, what do they call right. medium ghetto? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, yeah, I, I, you know, I was, I, I met them, um, and it was 
the the rest is history, right? As they say. So th- the, he was stayed in Korea for a little bit longer, and um, I learned to speak English because at that point, I guess I only spoke Hangul. We've got Betamax aging ourselves. No way, Betamax. Betamax. <laughs> we have Betamax showing me learning English. For those who don't know what Betamax wow. is, you know what VHS is. Imagine instead of two rings, you know, the spools like a cassette that the uh, the tape goes through and everything for recording, it's one. one. That's it. It was supposed to be like the big yeah, change. It was going to be the Blu-ray disc. Yeah, yeah the yeah. Blu-ray disc that came out. Blu-ray capability. Now yeah. you're really aging yeah. yourself there. I've been through some some media transitions. There you go. So, um, yeah, so we, we get to the States. Uh, I think the first place we lived at was uh, Fort McClellan, Anniston, Alabama. Oh, oh I was wow. stationed there. Yeah. I'm sorry. Good times. Yeah. Um, you enjoyed that. I, I mean, as a kid, I, I was probably six or seven. Yeah, yeah. I guess I picked up a little bit of a southern accent. Right? <laughs> no, so I'm this half Korean kid, southern accent. There you go. Living it well in Aniston. There you go. Living large, and then just you know, I, I won't bore you with the rest of that. Moved all around. So, yeah. You know, nine different elementary schools, uh, elementary, middle, and high schools. So mm. nine in total, and I think I got pretty cultured. You know, some of that time was in Germany. Learn how to speak German. Absolutely fell in love with the culture. Where and where were you guys at in Germany? He was the he was a provost marshal in in Nuremberg. Okay, he was still wow. open. So he had the hundred ASG. I think it was. What what time period are we talking? Oh shit! I told you I was going to lie. Let me see. 90, 91 maybe. Okay. Ninety one, ninety two. Um, I I left a little bit before that in Fulda. Oh okay. Yeah. What people know about Fulda because of the gap. Yep, yeah, that's right. Yep. So we lived in Dombach, um, which was an uppity officer community right right outside of Furt, which is a little community outside of Nuremberg. Yeah. So, um, like I said, learned to speak German, absolutely fell in love with the culture, and just knew and uh, that I wanted to go back at some point in my life. Um, fast forward all the way to high school. I'm I'm a pretty good kid, right? I'm um, hair stop man. If I had the picture, I'd show you. I look like one of the uh, Beverly Hills 90210 cast members. <laughs> I had the sexy hair. Yeah. Right. Kind of operator hair. Now, yeah. I that's guess. it. Yeah. <laughs> kind of fade into it a oh, little bit. Yeah. It was gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. God, it was luscious. <clears throat> like I show people now in my senior pictures that like bullshit. That's not you. <laughs> <laughs> that's me. He's like, first of all, they're more Asian and they have hair <laughs> and they're 160 pounds less than you are right now. It's like so, damn straight. You get a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I was hot. I was hot. I would have dated me. <laughs> um, so anyway, I I think going off to college, because both my parents have a law enforcement background. And so I was raised in a, a fairly strict household. So you got my, my father that's military police. Both of them are you know former police officers. Uh, my mother, everywhere she goes, she is the epitome of, you know, professional military spouse. But you'd never know it, right? Not your... I, I hate to use the term like we call dependa. I, I get it, but you've got some amazing military spouses out there doing amazing things on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. Them, yeah. Right? yeah. Um, so she, I mean, she worked department of the Navy. She worked department of the army. She worked uh, family advocacy, rape prevention and everything that she went into, she went into a hundred percent, even knowing that, you know, one day she's going to transition again with my father. She just made it hers. And so, you know, I, I learned a lot from her just based off her strength. So a lot of my, um, my speaking confidence 
and the foundation that I have when it comes to trying to find some intelligence behind something that probably doesn't make any sense comes from her, right? Because she was definitely, definitely the disciplinarian too. <laughs> Deathly afraid of my father, but my mom used to, you know what I mean? So I won't put that in public. There you go. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I get into college and I will tell you that I think I wasn't prepared. And I thought I was an individual in that, that journey. But, you know, it, the older I get, the more I realize that I think nobody's really prepared. Right. Right. I've got my whole philosophy behind our educational system in the U.S. You're 17, 18 years old. It's, it is a major decision. What do you want to do for the rest of your life? But right. You've got to figure it out right now. Your brain's not even fully yeah. developed. I'll, I'll tell you, they're starting to do that even much earlier, as you may or may not know. I mean, now it's like when you're in the eighth grade, you've got to figure out what you're going to do for your entire high school mm -hmm. career and lay out that path, which yeah. then will influence which universities or whatever you can get into, what you can major, all of it. It's we pushed it down to such a, a lower level, you know, that they're, they're not prepared, nor are the parents for half the time to try to figure out at eight in eighth grade. Yeah. Um, I think we're just in a culture right now where we're trying to uh, grow up too fast. Yeah. At yeah. every level. Kids aren't kids anymore. Yeah. It's the, the Benjamin Button right now where, yeah. you know, we're trying to grow up fast. And then when we get to that age, we're just like, we turn into babies again, right? Yeah. Um, I wasn't ready. The kids I were hanging around with weren't ready. I failed out of college epically. I, I worked hard, right? I had two different jobs. I was a busboy at, at Chili's. I opened up that establishment. I was super proud of that at the time. Um, busted my tail there, made good money, still didn't do well in college. Worked at Big Five Sporting Goods, wore a tie. I could, you know, sell really well. I mean, I could speak to anybody. I was super confident, still wasn't doing well in college and failed two semesters worth of college and got academically suspended. So here's the plot twist. Well, well my dad works at the university that I'm failing. Ouch. Right? To date myself, the electrons weren't aren't like they are now where he can just pull it up on a computer and go, oh, wow, Sean sucks. Right? <laughs> um, he actually has to wait for reports and stuff to come out. Also, he trusts me. That's a good thing to have between yeah. the parent and yeah. child yeah. is trust. And so he just kind of lets me do my thing. I'm living in the dorm, even though their house is like a mile and a half away. Sean, you're going to get this experience. Yeah. Right. That's, that's how it was. Told so it wasn't me. a mandatory thing. Like some universities are like first year, you got to go in the dorm. You know, it, it could have been, but at that point, I think. It didn't feel like that to you. It, no, yeah. it felt like I was getting kicked the hell out the house. <laughs> <laughs> Your dumb ass is living over there in this single room about this size with somebody else in a communal shower. Yeah. It was like good times, right? <laughs> it's a bit foreshadowing for the rest of your future oh there. For like a quarter of a century. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, fail out of college, and I just remember, <laughs> I remember this discussion having, I had this discussion with my parents. It, it, First of all, so he ran the Army ROTC program at Northern Arizona University, right? So he's professor of military science, um, great medium-sized school. He's winning accolades for that school because, once again, you know, my parents just strive for excellence. They are, they are the straight arrow Americans that you think about when you look it up in the encyclopedia. And that's not being funny. Like, that's, I think they've gotten, like, one ticket between the two of them in their entire lives, right? <laughs> Never bounced the check. Always had great credit. That type of, you know. Yeah. Right. So his sergeant major, Sergeant Major Hunt, 
pulls me to the side, understanding. Now everybody knows that I suck at school. And he said, hey, it doesn't matter what you do, man. Your, your dad's always going to be proud of you. You just keep your head up. Stop being an ass. Just, you know, you got this. I was like, Roger, I'm major. My parents take me out to dinner shortly thereafter. I just remember my dad's like, I don't care what Sergeant Major Hunt told you. I'm not proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> no lie. <laughs> I'm crying over my burrito. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So now, <clears throat> Sean, who sucks at academia, needs to figure out something to do. And that's that's the origin story of the Army. Um, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to do the Army. Dum, 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 dum. Take the ASVAB, <laughs> score like a solid 60-something. <laughs> my dad put, it was a pre-ASVAB. Yeah, yeah. My dad's like, look, man, it's like, I get it, right? If you're going to do this, mm, you might want to take it seriously. Because with yeah. that score, you're going to be making me eggs. You know, like, all, right. <laughs> all right, cool. That might have been a conversation, but it, that's what that's how it felt. Yeah. So I went in there and rocked a 92. Ended up getting like a 126 GT, right? I'm setting the foundation for this good story. Go down to MEPS, and there's a sergeant first class in there trying to just hook me up, right? And um, he said, well, you know, we got, we got infantry's open. It was a 126 GT. And I think our audience knows that that's not a low score. Right. And I could probably be anything I want to in the Army except for an oboe and piccolo player. Yeah. Other than that, I'm going to knock it out the park. Yeah. He's like, we got cook, we got mechanic. I'm getting excited. I'm like, yeah, because, you know, at that point, I've got a soft shell. Yeah. I, I, I haven't done anything in my <laughs> life to really harden me up, really. Um, I said, yeah, let me talk to my dad. So, you know, talk to my dad on the phone and, hey, dad, I'm going to do this, this, and this. He's like, hey, that's great. Put the recruiter on the phone. They had a conversation. I don't know if he remembers this, but I remember sitting on the opposite side of the desk from this guy. And I'll just remember, yes, sir. Hey, yep, Roger, sir. All right, sir. Hey, thanks, sir. They had that old dot matrix printer. Yes. Yes. With the uh, ripped paper on the sides. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He didn't say word one to me when he gets off the phone. And that thing just starts going crazy, right? Rips it off and hands it to me. It's just this composite list of every MOS in the Army except for Oboe and Piccolo player. And I'm like, this is it, man. So I'm just like, going down the line. 19 Delta. Delta. That must be Delta Force. <laughs> Cavalry scout. Scout. I was a scout one time. It sounds really cool. Sexy AF. <laughs> did you get the video? No, I just had to read the description. Okay. Oh, you so you didn't even did he put on the video for you? I just had to read the description. Okay. I got closer to the mic. I just had to read the the, the dirt bikes and the and yeah. the, uh, oh, the, the flying bread. Like, I just I read about it. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even get to see the picture. And you could pull that bike back if you want to. Oh no, no. I, mean, I wanted to way. talk yeah. really close. You yeah, you know. yeah. So um, oh, you mean like this? Yeah, like stop yeah, leaning yeah. forward into right, it. Really right. Yeah, that way make it more more comfortable. Go for it anyway. Yeah. Start. <laughs> Every time I lean forward, you guys are like, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, nah, just it's kidding. good. Um, yeah, so I called my dad round two. <laughs> dad, I'm gonna be a Cav Scout. You're gonna be a what? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't too happy about that. Tried to talk me out of it. He um basically told me I was spoon chested, probably wasn't what I was gonna be cut out for. And he had some solid evidence behind that whereas being in germany you know you got johnson barracks merrill barracks you've got the engineers and the cav scouts being the provost marshal you're privy to all the mos's that get in trouble down yeah. in downtown nuremberg and that's the one and the majority of them are 19 deltas if you ain't cav <laughs> you ain't shit. you're probably in jail so or you're probably not in jail you're probably not in jail <laughs> 
So, um, yeah, that's my origin story to Cav Scout. And he, and he allowed me to do that, which I thought was incredible. And something that sticks out in my mind is he had everybody over from the ROTC program one night at the house. And um, I never really watched my father cry. Just not a very super emotional guy when I was growing up. Um, he was still open and he still had emotion. He was a great. I loved him. Yeah. Um, super funny. But I just never saw him cry. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first time I saw him cry is when my my grandmother passed away, his mom, and then he he caught he caught some some choke points, little some tears, telling everybody in the group that I was going away to basic training and that I, you know I was going to be a calf scout. And uh, I think it was at that point that I realized how important the decision I actually made was. Yeah. I, I didn't really take it seriously when I first did it. It yeah. just seemed like the next natural step for me. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I was like, you know what? I can't. I'm done being, you know, sorry. I, I need to do something. So, Which part made him cry more, the fact that you were going off to basic training or the fact that you were going to become a 19 Delta? I think he, he, he threw the facade that it was me going to basic training, but he's probably crying because I'm <laughs> IT Delta. <laughs> You're going to be a what? Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, go off to basic training. I won't bore you with that too much. Four months, Fort Knox. Yeah. Um, and it whipped me into shape. And I'll tell you, I don't know. You did OSIT, right? Mm-hmm. Were you I, in Disney Barracks? I was. I was yeah, too. I was yeah, in Disney Barracks. Disney Barracks. Or Knox. Charlie 515 right by the chow hall. At the I was the the Alpha 515 right by I the chow hall. I was Delta 31. Uh, yeah. It's funny how we remember our uh, basic training unit. I mean, I'm sure your guys' basic training company or, or troops were good, but mine was the best. Drill Sergeant told me mine was the best, so I believe it. <laughs> or she did. <laughs> Just I'm like, glad this is on video. Just like our scale and target. <laughs> no, based on my, did you frame my, <laughs> yes, my yes, stank face? Yes. Absolutely. Everybody knows that it's all about Apache Troop. You're, you're dumb. <laughs> Everybody knows it was Charlie Troop. There you go. Drill Sergeant Dean and Drill Sergeant Smith. I still remember that. Christopher A. Dean. That was my guy. Drill Sergeant Phillips, Powell, Hutcherson. Oh, God, I don't remember oh, the drill sergeants. But Dean sounds awfully familiar. Christopher A. Dean. He got promoted to Sergeant First Class while I was there. Um. Okay. He used to chew Copenhagen. I remember because it was in my face all the time. All the time, out. yeah. Yeah, it's good times. Yeah, I mean, armor at that time frame and, and Cap Scouts and stuff, being up there at Fort Knox, I mean, it was sad to see them move down to Fort Benning and become part of the Maneuver Command, you know? Yeah, Maneuver Center of Excellence. I'll yeah. tell you, when it first happened, and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole yet, um, not bad. I mean, it's changed. It's politically the way that everything else is going. It makes sense. But I mean, you're never going to replace Fort Knox. Never. Yeah, 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 I, I agree. Mean, they filmed Stripes up there, didn't they? Yes, they did. Actually, in the barracks that you go through the reception That's portion right. of the, uh, the the training, so those old white, those, the the depression barracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's where they, they the, started it. Yeah. And uh, then that's where the drill sergeant would come pick you up, you know, after you mm-hmm. went through um, CCF or not CCF, but um, CIF and everything. Yeah. And CCF, geez, I'm really dating myself there. That's the guys that you went to left, P- right, CCF. You went you, to PNOC, didn't you? Yeah, I no, I went to PNOC. Yes, I'm yeah. sorry. I went to, I didn't go to BNOC, but I went to ANOC. And so somehow I got, I got an opportunity to skip BNOC. Yeah. Uh, but, Tested out of BNOC. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> But, say, uh, say your name. It, it was at uh, actually at Fort Polk. I went through uh, Peanut. Oh, God. yeah. And that yeah. that I can tell some hey, stories for, for the younger crowd. Peanut is just uh, it's basically your course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and it, because I went through what was it Warrior Leader course? It was BNOC. I went through PLDC. PLDC. Okay, see, back then it was before PLDC. It was PNOC and PLC. That's yeah. right. And then it went PLDC, and they combined the two of them together. Which yeah. those of us that were combat arms were pissed. Yeah, you know they that put everybody together. Yeah. Right, right. I'm then, not carrying this group. Then WLC, <laughs> and then. Now it's, it's still, it's yeah, still it's BLC, ALC, SLC, MLC, MLC, and then the non-commissioned officer. They, they change the names all they want, but yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, PNOC for uh, for me at that time frame was very different because it was combat arms than it was for PODC or POC because for for us, I mean, PNOC was like going through basic training all over again. The first several weeks of it was meant more to break you down as an NCO and make you realize you're not shit. You got this big head. You just you're an E4P or you're an E5 and you think you're, you know, hot stuff. And then they break you down and make you realize that you need to be built back up to be a proper NCO. Yeah. Also, this 42 Alpha is going to be in charge of you for the next. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But they explain it to you after the fact. right? Yeah. It's it's, you know, number one, you're going to give them the leadership attention they deserve yeah because they don't get that where they're typically at yeah and then also you're going to swallow it because you know most of the stuff that they're trying to teach them right 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 in a, in a dumbed down way you're doing military decision making process you're doing um operation order you're doing all this stuff that you by osmosis at a minimum know what that is um and they just don't touch it yeah. so you, you take for granted that the stuff that you get yeah is hard for them like map reading stuff like that land navigation and then but the, for them when it comes time to write a counseling you're like help me yeah please. exactly where does this comma go yeah yeah semicolon what? <laughs> um so basic training osit did that for four months like how i, I brought that back you, around you brought it all it really good without all the way notebook. Back. just ran and it like, through yep yeah, i just, just four months i almost lost it that was very embarrassing <laughs> I almost lost that one. So four months, basic training, OSIT. Now, I, I said, you remember OSIT, right? I was a platoon guide for all the three weeks of all of OSIT. Mm. Exactly. They put me in position. I was a squad leader for three weeks. Then they made me the platoon guide all the way through graduation, wow. which was unheard of, I guess. And then the more I heard about it, they're like, yeah, it's completely unheard of. They got comfortable. Bookman was always out. House Mouse was always out. They were uh, my room was just like it was like a it was like a hostel, just constantly yeah. transitioning folks. I'm like, welcome to my room. No. Um, I barely slept in that mug. Right, I never made my. I mean, I made my bed, but I didn't sleep under the covers. I didn't either. No. I'd actually slept on top. And That's a pro was, tip. Yeah, as yeah. soon as you and you got to the point where you could hear the the drill sergeant's car door closing out in the parking mm-hmm. lot. Yeah, and your ass would be on the ground, lights on, and you're half asleep and everything, and you're standing at your wall locker at least when the drill sergeant walks by. Yeah, you know, screaming. Yeah. Um, I made the mistake of not doing that for the first week. Ah, um, yeah. After the coat hanger got thrown at my head, though, things changed. Yeah. Do you ever have uh, a one? I'm sorry, I'm going to take us off a uh, break here for a little bit, but you know, the uh, rough topic. But since you were in that time period, did you get the um, Army National Guard drill sergeants that came in for two weeks during your OSIT? I, I don't I went remember. through summer break. That's, I mean, it's summer period, right? So I started in June and finished up in September. And we had the Army National Guard guys who came in there with pure attitude, right? Yeah. Never let us sleep, calling us out and underwear and everything, you know, after formation. Next thing you know, wall lockers going out of the building, you know, crashing and stuff. And just 
just wanting to pick a bone. The whole that was their drill. Yeah, yeah. Was their that was their two drill. weeks. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was their two weeks of mm-hmm. of hey, go make money. Yeah, and it, torture eighteen yeah. year old kids. And they just thought it was fun. Yeah. yeah. So I just didn't know if you had a similar experience at Knox. And I work in the back room of Xerox most of the time, <laughs> but I'm there. You drills are right now. Drills are on. Where your fingertips all black? Shut up, right? Yeah, that's it's toner. <laughs> it's to, toner. For all you kids that don't know what toner is, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, <that's right. laughs> this entire conversation is just having to tell people about the '90s. Um, so yeah, I, I did. I did really, really well in basic training. Um, I went in spoon chest and I came out hungry. Like I realized my leadership potential, and I hate saying that because you know potential. I get it. My leadership potential was there. It was it was amazing. Uh, Kid who couldn't you know pass college classes. Mm-hmm. His father didn't think that he could handle the pressure of being a calf scout. And and he was he was right for thinking that because yeah. at that point in my life I hadn't really ever proved. And I believe me, I've done some retrospective thinking. Right, I've, like I've kind of gone intrinsically and went, was he valid in thinking that way? And he definitely was. It yeah. wasn't that they coddled me by any means. And could I make it through Europe as a 16-year-old and, and function, you know, without my parents? I probably could. In fact, I, I did um, at one point get lost in Germany, I think on a train, um, doing like tennis camp or whatever. But yeah. my, 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 point, my point being is, is like I can negotiate society. I just wasn't responsible. Right. And I probably didn't have any common sense. So where did you get stationed initially? Um, Germany. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So did you ask for that going in? Uh, during your contract period, or um, I, I, I didn't ask for it. I told my dad that's where I wanted to go. Ah, and he made some phone calls. I don't know. I can. We can't confirm nor deny. <laughs> I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you. <laughs> I, no, I honestly don't know. I, I suspected. He'll never say if it was, uh, but you know, it was me and about twenty people around my alphabet made it to Germany. Other people went to poke. Other people went. <laughs> oh, yeah. So um, went to poke. Yeah, sorry. Yes. So showed up, and I'm 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 gonna redact some of the information about this one. So we show up to Germany, had a great time in Frankfurt the night before we split off, and we'll yeah. just leave it at that. Um, did make it down to downtown Frankfurt, had some good spaghetti and beer, and then stumbled in spaghetti in Germany. Mm-hmm. Nothing yeah. like Italian in Germany. It's Italian restaurant. <laughs> the important part is, is that. We were drinking liters of beer. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You know? Anything can pass as good food if you and have enough hefe. And, and at that time frame, German beer was like a, you know, I mean, back here it was water. Yeah. There, you drink one, you're like flat on your back kind mm-hmm. of thing. It was a meal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was like yeah. a loaf of bread. Beer was a meal. Like, that was your. And highly oh, potent. Yeah. That was your carb intake for the fiscal year. <laughs> And then you were done. Yeah. yeah. Right. But you weren't done. No. Which is why, like, all the German men over there had, like, large cat. Well, kind of what I look like now, big stomach and large calves. I mean, they could play the hell out of some soccer, yeah. but also give me my beer. Yeah. Right. Um, had a great time. Um, left Frankfurt. And then from there, there was, you know, you still drill down. So now, hey, where are we going in, in Germany? I ended up in Filsec at one six three arm battalion um. as a task force scout. Had some buddies some buddies end up in Holmfels. Oh the mud pit. Yeah. That was before Albertoff was established, like with a gate around it and um Yeah, I felt bad for them. And 
and indoctrinated myself into the military German style. Yeah, because for all the kids at home, user and army back in the States are two completely different places. Two totally different animals. You yep. learn how to be a different human being. Yep. Cultures are different. Yep. Um, it's, I would tell you it's more of a team environment over there because yeah. it's you against the world in your mind. Um, culturally speaking, I believe, this is just my thought, doesn't matter if you're white, black, Hispanic, Asian, you learn to get along because yep. you're around each other all the time. Yeah, agreed. Um, and so this, the segregate, because segregation still happens in the military, right? Yeah. We, we do it to ourselves, but it's less prevalent over there. A lot mm -hmm. more people hang out. So I was, in my mind, blessed to start off in Europe the way that it was then, not necessarily how it is now, because we were... It was very robust. The American military was very robust in Germany in 97 when I went over there. Yeah. yeah I mean, that was, that was like, that, that used to be the front line, right? When you yeah. were there, it was the, the front line. It was full of the gap. You yeah. know, I mean, we go out on OP Alpha and, yeah. you know, at that time frame, it was, you know, spitting off your tower. Basically, it landed in East Germany. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Well, I, I got the privilege of watching the wall come down as a teenager and then, um, so that's uh, this is going to blow some people's minds. That's when, even overseas, the installations were open to the public. Yeah. So you didn't have an ACP. You didn't have um, a gate guard. You, nobody was checking IDs. There was just a gate, and you drove through it yeah. at normal speeds. And then uh, if you were a local, local national... Um, you go to the club on base. I mean, that's what it was. And at Vilsack, it was called Yesterdays. So our first night, my group of privates, our first night at 163 Arm Battalion um, was pre-gaming, mm -hmm. going to Yesterdays. I don't remember the day that it was, uh, but I know that it wasn't crowded. <laughs> so it's just a bunch of dudes <laughs> yeah, hanging around, probably some scared female Germans that were on there on a you know some weird Tuesday. Like, why is it so crowded with all these young, weird-looking kids? Um, and we slept in the conference room at the battalion because they didn't have any room for us because the unit was deployed to Macedonia. So all the rooms were locked and sealed. So here we are in cots, hungover. Staff duty's like, what's your problem? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> and that's how we entered Germany. There you go. So, um, How long was it before the unit came back? I don't remember. I just remember... It was awkward because someone's getting in trouble for this one. They did break the seals. They did let us into the rooms. And the room that I was in, the kid comes back from deployment and somebody's sleeping in his bed. And that was me. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, it was super weird. And so I I didn't understand how he could be so mad. Like, dude, it's just a room. But having been deployed now and knowing what it's like to come back to a place that you call your own completely understand yeah like he probably should have kicked my ass all right that's how much i understand <laughs> so um yeah I, you know germany i did the stereotypical find a german girlfriend we may or may not have gotten married stayed married for 11 years had a couple kids may or may not <laughs> so um yeah I, I had a really good time in germany my next place was uh well I'll tell you about my experience there. I, I met some really, really good people. Um, some people that have stayed with me throughout my career. One of them, shout out to Donald McElroy. 
he's retired. Cav Scout went to basic with me. He was my first roommate, and we've been, you know, friends ever since. Um, I got a wedding coming up on the 26th, and he's coming to that. You know, nice. it's going to be pretty awesome. But, um, yeah, I just, I, I don't want to get too deep into it because we could sit here for hours. I could have brought pictures, you know, but... <laughs> Um, I learned how to be a, a task force scout, learn how to do dismounted missions, learn how to um, navigate at night, learn how to speak on the radio, learn how to army really, really, really well, learn how to shoot, uh, met some really good people um, that have stayed in my life, um, lost lost a couple that just, you know, just by natural causes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I if, if it wouldn't have been for Vilsack, I don't think I'd be who I was today and done the things that I've, that I've done because it taught me a lot about myself. Vilsack is on the backside of graph, right? It's yeah, connected yeah, to graph. Yeah, yeah. Right, that's right where, off of ring road. That's I, where two SCR is now, right? Correct. Yeah. I went through uh, M one transition. Cause when I, when I got there, they had M 68 threes. Yeah. And so I went through M one transition in Vilsack. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then we went right into gunnery and graph. Yeah. And then we left there and went to an FDX and Hohenfels. Yeah. Good times. All back to back to back. He's an OG tanker from yeah. the eighties. Like when armor warfare was armor warfare. I mean, Sheridan's were out there with the scouts. Well, especially at uh, Bragg. Yeah. They, they had gotten rid of, you know, I got trained at Polk on M 68 ones. And then I went to a threes and I thought, Ooh, these are like, you know, computer inside here. This is awesome. And then, so that's back when first sergeant used to run around a one, one, three with a 50 cal on it and stuff like that. Right. I first mean, sergeant used to, well, sergeant majors used to walk around with a yellow gold scarf, you know, yeah, on, yeah. And then they'd carry a damn stick usually, you know, with the like they were round field, on field the tip and or something. Yeah. Knock you over the damn head, you know, with yeah. it. <clears throat> Back then, it was a little bit different type of army than what it is yeah. today. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, nice. if he had to walk by and he, he gigged a piece of paper or trash, you know, out there, yeah, yeah, that was never good, you know. For those of you out there that don't know what gig means. <laughs> <laughs> Sergeant Majors were, were gods, yeah. you know, back then. Yeah, now we're just pains in the ass. <laughs> um, and there's two of them in every battalion or squadron. I know. I know. It's so it's so, so when you when you left Bill Sec, how, how long did you stay there first? I was there until two thousand and one. So ninety seven to oh one. Um I, I extended my time there, re enlisted. Okay. Uh I just I, I mean I spoke German. Yeah. You know, my wife at the time was German. Life was good. I was living off off boat uh, off post out of the barracks, kind of in a in a place called uh, Solzbach Rosenberg, which was away from Vilsack. Um so we had our own little community out there. I just you know, I I just loved Germany, so that's why I tried to stay as long as I could. And I think a lot of people do that, right? Yeah. Um, I've got a lot of friends that have gone back to Germany after retirement just based off of that. So, um, But I, in 2001, I was going to ask, did you know David Davenport, Sergeant Major Davenport? Mm-mm. So David Davenport, or Command Sergeant Major Davenport, retired, um, was the first sergeant for HAC-163 Armor. Okay. He was also the first armor division CSM. He was also the Fort Bliss CSM. He was also the Tradoc CSM. But he grew up as an airborne scout jumping Sheridans out of planes. So, you know, you talked about Bragg and everything yeah. else. I mean, that was that was the guy, right? Um learned a lot from him because he was not only my first sergeant in one six three, but then fast forward when I went back to Germany a second time after after Hood, I ended up at one one cav in Budigan, Germany where he was a squadron sergeant major. Uh, when I left Germany, it's funny you mentioned that because when I left Germany, I wanted to go to the 82nd and 
Um, when I, so when I went down there to re-enlist and everything, they laid out the sheet and on it was Fort Hood or Fort Knox. And I go, um, hey, I want to go to Bragg. They go, no, nope, they got Sheridan's. And I go, I don't care. Yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, do Sheridan's and stuff. They go, no, you just got trained in M1s. You go to Hood or you go to Knox. Yeah. So I said, all right, I'm out. And I actually got out of the Army and then came back in because I couldn't get what the hell I wanted from the uh, retention NCOs over there in um, Fulda. That's, that's crazy. It's a whole different Army now. Yeah. When you're yeah, out, yeah. You're, uh, yeah. you're done. Well, not necessarily, but pretty much. Um, I ended up at Hood. I didn't want to go to Hood. That was that was purely branch. That was hey, you've had your time as a lights. I wanted to. We got our taste of being, you know, sexy, right? I mean, we got to do dismount missions. I went to Kosovo. We were walking the Serbian border, running from Russians. Can I say that? Yeah, <laughs> running from Russians on the border who were building trench lines towards Kosovo instead of, you know what I mean? It was really awkward. Um, but we trained with them still awkward yeah uh had a great time doing it met some great people doing it worked for um some awesome individuals down there and learned once again first deployment learned a lot about myself um first time i got shot at that was fun people i mean people don't know about kosovo they just they were like oh kosovo peacekeeping mm. well you had to establish it first yeah right <laughs> um but yeah i mean i had a really really good time i brought in the the new year the millennium in kosovo on an lpop with my old platoon sergeant sorry major mcguire shout out nice yeah he's in iowa right now doing it big so yeah had a blast man um then went to hood it's mm. 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 where i learned how to be a, a bradley gunner Learn how to be a Bradley commander. Um, so you went through transition there. Yeah, and I had to learn it quick because I went through a DRB gunnery within two weeks of me getting there. So when you came in, you were 113 in 113? Uh, no. Okay, so when I came in, I was M3A1, Okay. M3A2, still doing switchology. Yeah, okay. Didn't have all the electronics, manually indexing range, right? Everything was red and black. Yeah. I hope that's a hot spot. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a cow? <laughs> We're about to find out. <laughs> um, the only FLIR side on the range uh, was up in the tower. Yeah, the FLIR camera in the yeah, tower. And that really didn't work. And the range operator was the only person getting to use it. Yeah. But he was probably scanning the porta potties or something weird. <laughs> Super awkward. <laughs> anyway, shout out range operators. Yeah, <laughs> range ops and all the DMPRCs out there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, they weren't DMPRCs they weren't back DMPRCs. there. There, there was, there was nothing digital about that place back <laughs> in the day. Um, man, where was I going with this? Oh, yeah, digital. Uh, so I was still Transition. manual indexing yeah. and, and all that stuff. And I went into a gunnery and um, I did well, right? But I was also like the youngest NCO. I was the newest. And so I was learning as much as I could about the Bradley. And uh, I, in my mind, I got really, really good. Yeah. Um, I was one of two sergeants. I think Tony Cole was the other sergeant that were that were made Bradley commanders at the time. Um, I think Tony's in Texas now, but he, you know, he was an infantryman slash whatever came in, did the scout thing, uh, and was doing well. Um, yeah, I did. I did well, but I think Hood is where I held my own career up for doing some weird stuff. So. Um, Master Gunner? I didn't do Master Gunner until I got to 1-1 Cav. Okay. That's where Dave Davenport um, 
really groomed me because I showed up there as a non-promotable staff sergeant. And within a month of being there, he made me a platoon sergeant. So I was a platoon sergeant for 24 months, non-promotable. And just he just let me do my thing. And then he sent me to combatives level one where it was just like one through three. And the person that was teaching you was like had a, a professional record. Yeah. Kicking you in, in the junk, like for real, punching you in the face for real. Um, I did one and two there. And then he sent me to Master Gunner School at Benning out of Germany. I was like, this is, this is great. I'd love to be a platoon sergeant, but let me just go ahead and knock this out. Yeah. <laughs> um, I asked to go to level three at Benning and he, and he was very frank with me. He said, you could either be a combatives instructor or you could be a platoon sergeant. Like, what do you want to be? I said, well, I want to be a platoon sergeant. He said, okay. So master gunner school, you go. It's like, hold on, wait. That's not being a platoon sergeant. <laughs> <That's> not- <laughs> the hell are you doing? It's called an M-toed position. And that's when you learned about M-toed positions. Yeah, yeah thanks. But we're going to get to that. <laughs> um, so, I and I'm going to be, so this is where 100% honesty comes out, right? And I don't think enough senior leaders in the Army do this enough. Um at Fort Hood, Texas, I'm putting this out to the world, I ended up getting a DUI. Not a lot of people know that. It's probably about, well, everybody does now. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I was going through some marital things, my fault. Um, I was I was trying to overcompensate at work. So you know how it typically is as a leader when you're in, you've got somebody who's doing pretty well at work, but their social life just doesn't match, right? I was that guy. So I'm separated and I'm probably doing some stuff that I'm not supposed to. I'm trying to, I'm, but in my, in my defense, I'm trying to leave a bad situation. And in the process, I'm doing it the wrong way. And that's how, so I'm not maliciously out there, you know, behind the wheel. I'm just trying to get people away from the situation, myself included. And it just, it happens, right? So um, that moment fixed my marriage for the time because she ended up coming to get me. And then I went through the gauntlet of being chastised, empathy, sympathy, being mad at me, everybody, as I came back to work, which was probably one of the hardest things that I've ever had to deal with. Because at that point, when people get in trouble, you're just like, what a shitbag. Yeah. Yeah. Because, oh, that'd never be me. I'm never going to do that. And for the people that sit out there on their pedestals and they're like, he's such a shitbag for getting a DUI. These are the same people that are getting in trouble, just not getting caught. Or they're doing bad things, just not getting caught. And um, this is where the honesty comes in. I was one of those people. I was one of those people who would sit back in the cut and go, Article 15, what a dirtbag. Right? So, um, humbling experience for being a staff sergeant, probably on my way. If if I would have stayed the path, probably could have been picked up for promotion. Um, you know, done some great and wonderful things. And then we get deployed to Iraq. So, you know, I would have been probably a senior scout doing it big. But this is where the, this is where the, um, what do they call it? Uh, survivor's remorse comes in. So, and I will do this unemotionally. Um, I get removed from my position. I get sent to the, S three shop, S3 shop yeah. right on time, and he be I become the taskings NCO for the squadron. I have to go sit in front of the man, and the other man, and then the other man, and the other man, and everybody that I'm talking to is like Sean, man, what, what, like what, what the hell, right? Hey, Sean, what the hell? And and 
I start off at parade rest and attention and I end up in a seat and people just want to know. They're like, babe, like what? That's not in your character. What's going on? And I explain, you know, all the things that, that, that got me to that point and they understood, but they were still disappointed. And nobody should be out there drinking and driving. Does everybody do it? Without a doubt. If you drink, you've probably driven. It just, it is what it is. Right. Yeah. But, um, still not an excuse. It's still the law. It's still a thing. Yep. If you drink, don't get behind the wheel. Um, I think that's why it was hard for them to speak to me sometimes because they understood. Mm-hmm. They just didn't. They didn't get it. I think from my perspective. So I, I let them know. Um, I'm not going to let you know who the. I mean, people know who they are, but I'm not going to shout out the the CSM and the squadron squadron commander at the time. But they understood. They gave me a second chance, and that, in my mind, was amazing. The operations sergeant major at the time, I will talk about him, Brian Briggs, changed my life as an NCO. Um, there's a couple of defining moments in my career. One we talked about. The other one, uh, there's two guys, Andrew Beal and uh, Thomas Kenny. Thomas Kenny was um, just recently, he was the first cab division CSM. Um Thomas Kenny was my section leader in Germany when I was a light scout and he whipped me around. He, he showed me what right looked like. He had no sympathy for what I considered to be, um, what do they call it? Self-entitlement. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I felt like I was entitled to certain things because I did a certain amount of work. He's like, it's never enough. Your job's never done. You know, you, you determine when you go home at the end of the night based off of, you know, how complete our job is. And if you don't think you're there, then just keep working. He's like, you don't work union hours. <laughs> Roger that. And then Andrew Beal was a friend of mine who got promoted faster than I did. And um, we had a little spat. I don't know if he'll ever remember this, but I remember. And uh, he's a little older than I was, or is, but at the time, he got promoted sergeant. I had a little animosity. And uh, I'd been pulling guard duty down in Albertshoff doing some stuff with the Humvees and he uh he comes down and I had an emotional moment. Like I unleashed on this guy, right? And he looked at me, he goes, What the hell's your problem? He said, Let me tell you something. He's like, I love you, man. But at the end of the day, I'm a sergeant and you're a specialist. And when I tell you to do something, the next time you talk to me like that, I'm gonna light your ass up. As a friend, if you need to talk, we can do that. But don't ever talk to me like that again. I was dumbfounded. That's huge. That was huge. And I don't think he remembers that moment, but that moment has stuck with me for the rest of my life, obviously, because I'm 45 sitting here talking about it. Got goosebumps about it, right? And that's when I knew that he was deeper than just a guy that I would talk to at work. He was like, he was like, all right, man. And we, you know, we don't talk as much today. We're friends, you know, on social media, which is good. But I don't think he'll ever know the amount of respect that I have for him. So he I, does now. He, he does, does now. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's going to find him. Yeah. I, I do have a funny anecdote. So this is going to get back to him. So no shit. There we were driving to the gym in his BMW that I later on bought from him. It was like a three eighteen I. It always gets passed yeah. uh, oh, in yeah. Germany. In yeah. Germany. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I love that car. I'm sitting in the back seat. I forget who's in the front seat and I'm a guy and I apologize for being a guy. And as we're driving to the gym, there's this girl running on the side of the road and she's very attractive and we see her behind I said holy shit guys look at the ass on that <laughs> he's like yeah that's my wife 
<laughs> no, you didn't. He's like, yeah, Marianne just dropped the car off. And <laughs> that's why we're riding in it right now. It's oh, like, yeah. So what are we working out today, gentlemen? <laughs> <laughs> There's more. So um, he invites us over to dinner. We end up going to the house. And he's very professional, very down to earth, um, kind of salt of the earth guy, uh, you know, very into into it he knows himself right and his and his wife at the time he's got it was ex-wife but i show up and marianne opens the door she's like hey thanks sean i've been working out very you know something along those lines so we obviously told her <laughs> that's, that's screwed up it's great though my bad <laughs> so yeah those two guys um basically you know changed my life thomas kenny because he taught me what OCD looks like, mm-hmm. right? Um, it, which I think you know, my OCD runs rampant. I'll show you my notes here from Sergeant Major Academy. It's it's pretty bad. And then you know Andrew Beale just for being you know the guy that he was and keeping it a hundred all the time. You you never saw a facade with him. I've thrown a facade. I think everybody else has. We've pretended to be some some people that we're not. And I don't think Andy's ever been that guy. And and for that, I think that's absolutely amazing. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so. So you come out of the DUI? Come out of the DUI and, and everybody's kind of trying to figure out why. And so I do my thing. And this goes back to the survivor's remorse. There's second, third order effects to everything, good and bad. And, and based off of me being moved, it moved my buddy Renee Ledesma into the BC seat in the track so he becomes red six um we'll just go ahead and fast forward so we go to fob farron huggins fob falcon down in in iraq it's like uh was it oif one bravo we take it over from the 82nd airborne i think it was with the wild wild west when we showed up doors off pedestal mounts on the humvees dudes with samurai swords cutting open fuel tanks on the side of route irish I mean, it is sandbags in the floor of the Humvees. Sandbags in the floor of the Humvees, having to replace suspension all the time because you got that. Get the wobblies. Man, that shit was amazing. (laughs) Oh, we're going to put steel in the back of this, and that's going to guard me because you got a ratchet strap around my waist. That's it. Because I've got this 240. Let's get it. (laughs) Right. I've got some buddies that um, they went through some traumatic stuff down there, and I did not. I, I did. I mean, there. I got into a, a few hairy situations there, but I by no means lived through what I would say the majority of the guys that I served with at the time went through, and I will never pretend like I did. Um, and so, Renee, long story short, gets killed in my track. Um, Daisy Chain 155s, pedestrian overpass, mm. late at night, they're doing sagger drills, for those of you, um, I always make everything lighthearted. For for those of you that don't know what Sager drills are, those are the Sager missiles from the Russians as they used to um, fire them on armor. And so we would do Sager drills, which is left, right. Some statement, I mean, you're going to have to catch somebody, right? Yeah. That's why people don't know what herringbone comes from. Exactly. Right. Strafing runs, aerial coming down, straight line. For those here. of you that don't know what strafing runs, <laughs> so Google, yeah. Um, so Renee dies. I'm asleep, and I won't say his name, but somebody wakes me up, and he goes, "Sean, wake up! Renee's dead." Like that's how I got woke up. 
Mm. I'm serving as the one seven cav Gary on battle captain at the time. So I'm a staff sergeant shouldn't be serving as a battle captain serving as a battle captain. And I'm very proud of that. Let's talk about the rarity time where yeah. you found your growth. That's yeah. where I found my growth um, professionally, right? As like the all around soldier learning how to brief people. Absolutely. Learning a larger concept than just my five <clears throat> and 25 of being a scout, uh, learning what it is to be outside of the turret, learning um, tactics, strategy, why we do certain things, right? Just battle drills. Again, the, the, the kid that just had a DUI was hard on himself, yeah. was trying to find the rebound. Yeah. Had the leadership to take the time to notice the talent and put him in a place where he can still yeah. grow. Yeah. Um, at correct a critical me if I'm moment. wrong, at 1-7 at the time, were we talking about Uncle Chuck and Andy Helms there? Were they the, uh, was Costanza and Helms the, the leadership there? No, that was right before they took over. I actually had, I said I was going to say it, but um, Sergeant Major of the Army retired Chandler was my CSM. Yes, okay. So Ray Chandler, shout out Ray, amazing guy. Uh, man of few words. He's like my father where he just kind of looks at you and you know exactly what he's saying. Mm -hmm. Like, God damn it. <laughs> Fucked up again. Right? <laughs> that, that was that guy. Um. I, I remember getting woken up. I go down to the our, our talk, and it's just, it's not chaos. It's just, it's not comfortable. So I sit up against the wall by this analog map board that we own. It's large and robust, and I, and I loved it. I've, but at that moment, I didn't love it. And at that moment, I hated everything. And at that moment, I just, I mean, it just it was like, Everything that I'd done to that point didn't mean shit because I just felt like that was my Bradley. That's where I should have been. And because I fucked up. I mean, and let me let me preface this. This is going to... I don't want this to be about... This is not about me. This isn't like... I don't... Nobody should feel sorry for me. If anything, people should be like, you are right, Sean. You are fucked up. You did mess up. And in a weird way, somebody had to pay for it and it wasn't you. So this isn't about me, okay? I've had my successes. I'm very blessed. But me telling this story, is I don't want sympathy for this. This is strictly to tell the story, right? Um, this is about the hardships that other people had to go through because of this. But it's also your emotions raw at the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... People don't... It's like when people don't know how you're going to react when you get shot at the first time, right? Yeah. It's the fight or flight or it's whatever. You can call it whatever you want. The first time I got shot at, I laughed. It's not because I'm hard. It's not because I'm gangster or demented. That was my body's natural reaction. Because maybe, you know, I use humor as a means to mask my true emotions. Right? We can get deep with it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe that's what it is. So, um, you know, with that, I had no idea how I was going to react. But that's what came to mind. They allowed me to go down to the, um, the troop to go see the rest of my guys to make sure they were good. And at that point, I think I went to check on everybody, but I'd already, I'd already created a gap. Like the, the camaraderie that we used to have was no longer there because I didn't get in trouble the way I probably should have when I, when I got the DUI mm. there, there wasn't, 
there was there was a lot of animosity towards me and i understood it right and I, I never rubbed it in anybody's face it's just one of those things where it was a decision that was beyond me i did the action other people make a decision on my course my future and i, I just got to walk with my head straight and be better well <clears throat> you lost their trust and okay. now you've got to earn it back yeah oh uh, yeah I if they give you the opportunity kind of thing you know, because it's theirs to grant, not yours. People say, you know, you got to earn somebody's trust, but they've got to give it up. Yep. They, they, so I, I say, I say this a lot. You have to give somebody the opportunity to, um, redeem themselves. Yep. Yep. If you want, you don't have to, you can hold a grudge for the rest of your life. That's your God given right. You don't have to forgive people. You don't, you don't have to see it their way. You don't have to be sympathetic, empathetic. And you can just have a middle finger in their face for the rest of your life. That is your right. You can do that. Um, but if you don't want to do that, then you have to give that person permission to redeem themselves. And then part of that redemption is earning that trust back. And so there's that natural, I think everything in nature, everything that we do, you know, that yin and yang, right? Mm -hmm, there's, mm -hmm. there's a responsibility on both ends of this. Yeah. So, yes, it was my fault, but part of your responsibility is letting me know that you're allowing me to redeem myself and that someplace within there you're, you're going to you're going to trust me again at some level. Um, that was too soon. I knew that that wasn't going to be there. I remember Sergeant First Class Fisher was my platoon sergeant at the time, and he was yelling at me in the troop area. Because he said, you were the best I had. You did, you fucked up. And now, you know, you, you let your soldiers down. And I'm crying. I was like, I got it. I was like, but the least you could do is just let me, you know, win it back. Let me, let me get that back. Like, I, I'm still good. And I remember my commander was walking past at the time. He's like, I think we could do that. But that's all he said. And that just stuck with me. And so I, I did. I had to be better. And maybe... I did everything I did after the fact to try to reprove myself. Maybe that's just who I was intrinsically. Maybe we'll never know. I just know that that's what, that's what built me. So, you know, Renee passes away. We went ahead and put my buddy J.D. Miller and I got Renee Ledesma the day he got killed. I've got Overcome and Red Six on my forearms or just kind of, you know, what we used to say. And Red Six, obviously, the call sign. Yeah. Um Look, Renee, like I wasn't one of these fake friends to Renee. Renee and I would, he would pick me up from work. Mm -hmm. I mean, from home and take me to work. And he would drop me off. And we'd talk all day long. We would talk about his, you know, struggles at, at previous duty stations. He would talk about people that we work with, that we worked with at the time, that were good, that were still talking shit about how he was at his previous duty station based off of his performance as a scout. And, like I was, I was his confidant. He, like people didn't, they didn't need to know that. I didn't have to prove it. I didn't put it out there on a poster. But he would pick me up, and like we'd listen to Carlos Mencia on the way to work, and <laughs> that was my sounding board. I was his sounding board, and we used to talk about all this stuff all the time. And then it just it amazed me that when he passed away, how many of these same people that he used to talk about, there were the naysayers, and that they were now all of a sudden, oh, that was my best friend. And that's when I pulled away from a lot of people because I started to see true colors in my mind. Um, I don't think people realize that. 
because I could pull away quick. Right. So, um, yeah, I learned a lot from that. Um, I didn't want to get too deep into it. It's, it's a therapy point. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But, um, he stays on my mind, obviously. Um, yeah, I, I do some, I do some, whenever I'm in a place in life where I feel like I can't do something or mm-hmm. I feel like it's a struggle. It's funny. My fiance and I just had a discussion about this last night. My mindset changed. So we can go with that whole adage of, you know, there's no such thing as problems, just an opportunity to excel, Kyle. <laughs> How many times have you heard that? That was me? like but, OG yeah. first Sergeant Jarvis yeah, right there. Just an opportunity to excel. There was just, and you know, you proved it. Yeah. I think you should get into that now. Let's get into the good stuff. Where did that take you as a leader? Wow. Grew exponentially. I really did. I mean, we talked one one Kev, got to do the Toon Sarn piece. I mean, that's when my time grew. That's where Charles Costanza comes in. Oh yeah. Um, he was the S three at one one Cav. Uh love his wife. Shout out Megan. She's amazing. Um, she actually had a hand in raising my kids when they were younger. So quick Charles Costanza story. He's first sergeant of uh Bone Crusher at the time at three one Cav. I come in and we're we have a brigade change of command in a couple of weeks and the new brigade commander is sitting in his office and i come in and i'm like hey first arm what and then i stop and the, there's just this full bird right there and then they're just like oh it's cool this is this is chuck this is sean they're just hanging out i was like okay so this guy has like a rapport and then you you learn uh colonel costanza's leadership style yeah and he appreciates that it wasn't Very beyond cool. him to be in someone's platoon office asking questions. Yeah. But not like I'm the brigade commander. Like, what do you think about this situation? Yeah. Really cool leader. There, was, there wasn't a rubric that he would walk around with to try to figure out if you're meeting, you know, there was, it yeah. wasn't like an ATP that he's trying to, it was just, it was Charles Costanza, senior leader, genuinely interested about the people that, that serve with and for him within his brain. Let me shake your hand. Let me look you in the eye kind of guy. You want to talk about resilience. Great leader. That man had a medical thing happen to him to where we just didn't think he was going to make it as a brigade commander. And he pulled through. And then, oh, by the way, we're going to become like chief of staff of first AD. And then we're going to be the the, uh, third ID commander recently. Right? I mean, he's, he's a stud. Yeah. I mean, and, and, but for all the right reasons, right. You ever hear the whole, if you got to tell people, I think Sergeant Major Daly said this, if you got to remind people you're in charge, you're not, you're not in charge. Yeah. Yeah. So true. He never, he was the kind of guy that would walk into a room and you knew he was in charge, even if he wasn't. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that's the cat that you don't want at your promotion because people are going to be like, Oh yeah. Congratulations. Oh, it's General Costanza, yeah. right? I love that guy. So, yeah, my success came from there. I, I I learned a lot from, you know, Sergeant Major Davenport. He taught me a lot about myself as a leader. Um, yeah, I was still, I don't know, young in the mind, but as a leader I was trying to grow. And I look back on the things that I accomplished, and while I was doing it, I didn't really put a lot of merit to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get some awards, you get some ribbons some certificates but you're always comparing yourself right they say the comparison is death of joy yeah right it's it really is 
and I was just constantly comparing myself to other people. But the army breeds that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's promotion points. If you're looking for it, that's yeah. The, yeah. That, I think that's the point. They say it's not, but I'm pretty sure yeah, that's the they point. They want that yeah. I mean, because that's how you get. That's how you get the cream of the crop, I guess. Well, that's how you get Burkhart, Ford, Brennan, and Walrod all in the same platoon. How crazy! Was that's that? a real one. That's. <laughs> Those people know who they are. Yeah, man. And I, I'm smiling so big. And then you just get all the ribbons that go on that guide on. I have a picture of that. And Our guide on was ridiculous. It had more streamers <clears> on it than the, the squadron colors. And that was from a year. We ended up getting the Draper Award. Yep. Yep. We didn't even put ourselves in for it. That's what's funny. People don't know that. You know, I didn't put myself in for that. The commander didn't do that paperwork. Who did it? Mm-hmm. Well, you know what the Draper Award is? No. Oh, okay. So the Draper Award. <laughs> yeah, maybe the audience doesn't know. That, that would be a, yeah. yeah go ahead. I think they changed the name because Draper was also, I think, like an alcoholic DUI abuser I mean, guy. I don't, I don't know. Or a confederate or something to where they want to change it. We're just trying to be politically correct, folks. Um, so the really cool Armor Award, formerly known as the Draper Award, was they select the top armor or cavalry troop in the division whatever division you're in for that year. And so you pick any maneuver brigade and you know, you've only got a certain amount of troops and companies. And then you take all three of those maneuver brigades inside and they compete based off of numbers and, and statistics and, you know, not getting DUIs and not getting in trouble. All of it, they put it all together and they get this aggregate number and then they go dump, 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 Bravo Troop 31 Cav, congratulations. Oh, I do the, remember this, but yeah. it was, um, I didn't remember what it was called. Mm. Yeah, you got the, right, the guy yep. riding the horse. Yep. 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 So I got the Draper Award in SLC, I think. I got the Draper Award in SLC as an individual, and I got the Draper Award for, and in the scout world, somebody will probably correct me, but at the time, what was being told to me was, the Draper Award was it was how you got promoted, right? That's yeah. like if you're walking away with Draper Awards, you're probably looking at promotion because it's it's the leadership that they that they see through enumeration and quantification. Yeah, these metrics, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you know, I could be out there licking windows, but if the numbers are right, <laughs> obviously I can scout. Oh, absolutely. And the windows were delicious. By the way. <laughs> We had uh, two very interesting commanders during that time too, because we had uh, three. We had Kevin, yeah, Humphreys. Humphreys, okay, Humphreys was the man, the man, the myth, the legend. Kevin Humphreys is a le- legend. Kevin Humphreys, former. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give his bio real quick. Former Ranger, three seven five. Um, never left Fort Benning. Seems like up until Captain. Anyway, uh, sniper with three seven five. Um, OCS, Benning, um, went back to 375 as lieutenant, which is, I guess, unheard of. Did some time with them. They're like, hey, Kev, you need to go out and do some real army stuff. So they make him something over at 3rd Brigade, 3rd ID, Benning. Um, he goes through the maneuver captain's career course, Benning. He becomes a commander at that's right, Benning. Yeah. Bravo 3-1. This is Don Fox all yes, over again. Yeah. 100%. Um, and he is the most unorthodox commander. War Eagle. Auburn fan. Auburn fan. I'm a huge Auburn fan. I work there, by the way. Um, War Eagle. 
And I, everything he did was on post-it notes. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Everything that he did was on a post-it note, and that's how he kept up. Um, tactical genius, good old country boy from Alabama. Just him on a small arms range, you will forget more in that time, but just because he teaches so much. Yeah. And as a captain, like you can tell he was an old NCO because, you know, you'd see fives down there, you know, in the prone with their Joe and look on the other side and holy shit, the commander's down there with Joe too. Yeah. Just getting in some sergeant's time training. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was was a fantastic leader. And he rolled, he rolled out to Proctor who was the youngest commander in third ID at the time. Jonathan Proctor, another amazing. So I learned, (laughs) I learned how to be a first sergeant. Let me hold on. Let me back up. Okay. We skipped all of Fort Drum. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, I learned the difference between coddling and um, effective mentorship. I used to, as a section leader and as a platoon sergeant, I would get emotionally invested with my, my subordinates. And then as a first sergeant, I tried to keep, I tried to keep it real. I knew I wasn't going to know everything because, you know, people aren't going to let dad know everything. Yeah. Um, I wasn't trying to be everybody's friend, but you knew when I was disappointed. They're late for work. Why are you making them come earlier? They were late the first time. What makes you think they're going to come 15 minutes earlier successfully? <laughs> How about you have them come in at the right time, but you put them in charge of accountability now? Yeah. And it's not a punishment. Now you put them in a leadership position and then hopefully they learn from that. So then when you do do some sort of administrative punishment, it's based off of a leadership failure on their part and not because they, they, they made them late. wear a right. stupid alarm clock around their neck. 